I'm Sharon Betters, and you are listening to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. And our vision at Mark Inc. is to offer help and hope, especially to hurting people. And that's one reason I'm so excited about the conversation you're going to hear between Julie Sanford and myself. We are going to be talking about a life crisis that is often hidden. There's a lot of shame and anger and disappointment all wrapped up in this very painful place. And what I'm talking about is being married to an alcoholic. And Julie Sanford knows what that is. She knows the feelings of betrayal. She knows every emotion that you could be experiencing. And you may be experiencing that right now. You may have just realized, maybe just admitted, my husband's an alcoholic, or maybe you've been living with it for years and you haven't talked to anybody for whatever reason. Well, I wanna tell you, Julie has hope for you. Her story, it's painful, but it does not end in that darkness. And she is willing to share with you what has given her hope. So again, Julie Sanford is our guest and Julie is a recovery mentor for wives of alcoholics. She is a wife and a mom of three. And as I've already told you, she realized she was married to an alcoholic and lived in chaos for years. But now she is seeing that place in her life, that broken place is her platform for offering the help and hope that she has experienced. So Julie, welcome. And I'm so glad you're you're sharing your time with us today because I know you're crazy busy. Thank you. Thank you so much for just giving me the opportunity to encourage some other ladies today who might be in that spot right now. Well, why don't you share a little bit about your story? My husband and I have been married for, it will be 13 years coming up this October. And a few years back, We had always been social drinkers like a lot of people are, and you know, there wasn't really anything seemingly to be concerned about. But a few years back, um, after my husband lost his dad, things definitely shifted from, you know, not being anything of concern to me starting to think, is this normal? Like, is this excessive? Do other women's husbands drink this much? Is this just Mm -hmm. kind of, um, you know, something that's more than it was, but not anything to be concerned about? And so I started doing a little bit of poking around on the internet to find out what was quote unquote normal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things did start going from bad to worse after that. And fast forward, you know, several months later, um, he was pretty much drinking all the time. He was not really able to work. Obviously, Mm -hmm. our household was in complete chaos. I was holding down a job at that time in the corporate world in a management position that was also very stressful. So It was just a really, really difficult time. And at that point, you know, we knew that there was obviously a a bigger issue for sure. Did you call that to your husband's attention or was there a lot of fighting before you were able to get his attention? How long before he realized, yeah, I've got a problem? There was a lot of fighting, daily fighting. I think that he knew that there was a problem, but I I feel like, first of all, he didn't know what to do about it. And secondly, um, it took him quite a while to realize that it was at the point where it was completely unmanageable for him. He always had told me throughout this journey that something else was wrong. He kept saying something else is wrong. And he said something else has been wrong for a really long time. Um, But now it's just unbearable. And the alcohol use is what I'm using to manage those feelings of whatever else is going on. Uh, He ended up trying to take his life twice during this whole period of time. 
And when he finally went to recovery, it was a good two years, I believe, of really bad um, between when he really kind of started started the downslide to when he went to recovery. And we did find out while he was in recovery, he went to a dual diagnosis center and we found out that he also has bipolar disorder and probably has for several years. So mm-hmm. that was the something else, obviously. The signs of that weren't blatantly obvious. You know, there weren't, it wasn't like kind of you hear about the manic phases and the depressive phases. Um, his bipolar was more in the depressive phase where he pretty much stayed for the most part. And so it was, it was a very long completely devastating time of just trying to figure out what was going on and trying to get him to the point where he just realized that we just absolutely could not continue going on the way that we were anymore. Well, you, you said he went to rehab. Did he live? Did he, did he stay, you know, was it one of those where you go for six months and, you know, have connections with your family, that sort of thing? Or was it a weekly thing where he met with someone? What what was his choice or what was his pathway? So we did inpatient. Um, at that time, we both knew that he just needed to not have the choice to drink at that point. So inpatient was absolutely critical in our situation. He went to one facility for two weeks to do a medical detox, which is very important if you've been drinking like that. You know, It can be dangerous if you just try to stop on your own. So he did that for a couple of weeks and then he transitioned into uh, an inpatient facility where he was for another 30 days. So all told, it was about six weeks. We did have contact with him, but it was minimal. He was allowed to call home one time a day. Um, They didn't have cell phones. They didn't, you know, they really were just immersed into recovery. Uh, Towards the end of his time there, they did a family week where I was allowed to go. Uh, It was about two two and a half hours away from our home, I believe. So it was a little bit of a trek. But I went and stayed in the little small town where the recovery facility was for that week. And they brought us into a lot of the the talks and the different things that they had been sharing with the people who were there so that we could really get a great idea of um, what they were learning, what they were going through, how we could help, you know, what to do, what not to do, and how to manage things once we got home. Because obviously, going back into that situation is a whole nother set of challenges. So that was so incredibly helpful, I think, for both of us, because it really got us on the same page. So I really uh, would recommend if that is, you know, something like that is an option for someone who's listening, it it was incredibly beneficial for both of us. Did he want to go? Yes, at that point, he was ready. I mean, he, he didn't want to go on some level, because alcohol, you know, being giving up, your crutch basically. And the way that you've been coping for so long, of course, that felt super scary, but I'm just so proud of him that he was able to finally get past that feeling just enough to get to where he needed to get to. You know, you really, you think about it as you only have to muster enough courage to go there right then in that moment. If you start thinking about, you know, I'm not going to be drinking ever again. I'm not going to be drinking for the next, however long my impatient is it can probably feel really overwhelming. So I think that it was just kind of focusing on that moment of just driving to the place to get the help made it feel a lot less overwhelming. What did you learn that helped you the most? You talk about understanding the roots of the addiction. Why is that so helpful when you're living with an alcoholic? We, my husband and I both really believe, and someday he's going to be alongside me 
And someday he is definitely going to be, we're going to, I'm hoping be kind of like a two man team where he's talking to the addicted and I'm talking to the wives, but we really believe that in a lot of cases, there is an underlying something else, as he called it, you know, underlying mental illness going on that really is making it incredibly difficult for that person to recover. Because if the, it's like putting a bandaid on a gaping wound, if you're not addressing what's underneath and what's the cause of it and the root of it, it can make recovery just almost impossible in some cases. And that's not always the case. You know, sometimes the alcoholism is just that. But in a, a lot of other cases, I do believe that that is most definitely an underlying factor. And so that's one of the things that I like to kind of get out there with my message is it's something to, to look at. It's something to consider in the situation. If your husband is unable to stop drinking, is there something else going on that's underlying? So learning that and learning more about how addiction and mental illness do go hand in hand, not just in the streets, uh, you know, with homeless people, but in normal Christian homes like mine was really, really eye-opening. And I think it happens a lot more than people realize. Well, I think that's a really good place to go for a, a minute or two is to talk about how we we think of alcoholism as the homeless guy or somebody who lives in the what used to be called the ghetto or someplace like that. But you're saying it's it's doesn't limit itself to one stratum of life. So how how does that impact you wanting to get help though? It impacts it a lot because especially if you are a person of faith, there's, I feel like an additional layer of shame around it or guilt around it, or, um, you know, you're, you're wondering, so is my faith not strong enough? Is God mad at me? You know, did I do something wrong? Like, why am I, why am I being subjected to this? And mm-hmm. I had my own, the ways, ways that I thought of alcoholics and even wives of alcoholics before I I went through this myself, you know, I always thought, well, they just made a bad choice and who they married, you know, they aren't doing everything that they need to be doing in their marriage or their husband wouldn't be addicted, you know, alcoholics. I even thought, and this is so embarrassing now, but I even thought like alcoholics are losers with no self-control. Like I really used to think those things. And I think a lot of people do. And it's my husband isn't a bad person because he's an alcoholic. My husband is an amazing person. He's a beautiful, loving, I mean, everybody who knows my husband loves him. He's just uh, got this sweet spirit. He just succumbed to addiction and it happens to the best of people and the best of families in every social situation and every, you know, of every class of people in every church, in every, you know, doctor, doctors, lawyers, like in every walk of life. It's happening. And I think that it's so hidden because they're the people who are quote unquote normal with normal lives are affected by that shame and that guilt. And they don't want anybody to know what they're going through, which just delays treatment for the person who needs it, delays help for the family members who so desperately Mm -hmm. also need help in the situation. And it's just the shame and the guilt of it, I think, are, are really what's keeping it hidden and what's keeping so many people from getting help. Yeah, I, I was looking up a little bit of information about alcoholism in preparation for a conversation. And I was stunned to see that I wish I had written down the numbers, but it was statistics on how many people are alcoholics abusing alcohol. And the numbers of women are rising to uh, bypass the numbers of men. So I know that's a whole nother conversation, but there is a lot of pain 
out there and in here in the church where people are looking for something, they're desperate, looking for something to take away the pain. And knowing, for instance, your understanding of your husband's, uh, the roots of his pain, it, it does help you change in the way that you respond. I'm thinking that if I were in that situation, I would probably be putting up a lot of ultimatums. You know, if you do this again, I'm kicking you out. If you do this again, I'm not going to let you see the kids. What place does ultimatums have? Are Is there a place for ultimatums in this kind of journey? Or is that something that's just going to make things worse? So I definitely did the ultimatums. Oh my gosh. I did. I, I'm pretty much like the perfect example of what not to do, which, you know, now helps me help other people who are walking this path right now. But at the time, you're just going on your instincts, your gut instincts, you know, our human responses. And it's a desperate, scary, overwhelming situation. So yeah, you try everything, including ultimatums. And what I didn't realize at the time when I was doing that is that he wasn't dealing with a choice, which is a common misconception. He was, the choice had been taken out of it at that point. And when he started to get to the point where he was so desperate and guilt-ridden and shame-filled that he tried to take his life, I thought to myself, you know, he he is such a loving husband. He's such a doting father. Like he's such a great person. If he had any choice to not have to deal with what he's dealing with and to make it go away for just our sake, much less his sake, he most absolutely would have done that already. So I, instead of making the choice to try to leave the world, you know, so I definitely think that if women are making ultimatums in this situation, it's normal. It's your gut reaction. It's kind of like your knee jerk reaction. But the thing that I always like to remind people is something that uh, they say a lot in Al-Anon. You didn't, basically you didn't create it. You didn't cause it. You can't cure it. Like it's, it's something that is, that's there. That part is on them. So you can lay down all the ultimatums in the world and try to tell him that he needs to do this, that, and the other. But first of all, when he's, first of all, it's his to, to fix on his own. If he goes to treatment for you, it's not probably going to be anywhere near as effective as if he goes to treatment for himself. But also you have to realize that if there's something else underlying, especially, but in most cases, regardless, the choice is not really there anymore. If they could just set it down and walk away, they probably would have a million times already. Well, okay. So no ultimatums, but how do you take care of yourself? How do you protect yourself, your children from when your spouse is out of control, where he's out of his mind in his behavior, he turns into somebody you don't even recognize, no ultimatums. So, so how do you protect yourself and your family? So that, that is one of the biggest things that women are concerned about, especially with the children. And what I think is important while you are navigating what I call the in-between place where he has not realized that he needs help yet or has not decided to take the next step to get that help, you basically can protect yourself with boundaries. And I misunderstood boundaries for a really long time. I thought that boundaries were to control the other person, to tell them what they could and couldn't do. So boundaries are more for what will you do in a situation? So for example, in my situation, my husband, a lot of times was inebriated in the evenings when I got home from work and I didn't really want the kids to be around that. 
Um, my son was pretty small at the time, and I think that it, it made him confused and maybe a little bit fearful because he could tell daddy was different. And my husband was never violent or anything like that, but clearly a different person when he was drinking. So I would either ask him to come upstairs or we would leave, you know, we would leave and go to dinner or we would leave and go to the park or we would come upstairs and play a game or something like that. And that's just one small example. There's a ton of other boundaries that you can put into place, but it's important that you realize that you do have some power in the situation. You're not just at the mercy of everything that he's doing and you don't have to just sit around and wait for him to change his behavior and the way that he's doing things. You can change the way that you're doing things and better the situation because of that. How do you take care of yourself in a place like that? There's so much enormous energy that you're putting into trying to protect your family, trying to help your husband. You have you have to be exhausted in every way, emotionally, spiritually, physically. So how, how did you take care of yourself? Uh, and when did you start taking care of yourself in this journey? Not until the very end, to be quite honest, I did a terrible job of taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that that was important at the time. I really thought that I needed to worry about everyone else. I needed to worry about getting him sober. I needed to worry about making sure my kids were okay. And I didn't matter at that point. I wasn't mm -hmm. even something that I considered. And I ended up with what I did not know at the time, but now I know was stress-induced hives covering mm -hmm. my body for months on end. I remember thinking, did I, am I using a different detergent? Like, am I allergic to cotton now? Like what is going on? Why, why am I getting these hives all the time? Well, guess what? My husband got sober and the hives went away and they've never come back in four years of <laughs> sobriety. So pretty safe to say it was stress induced. And I did actually look that up. And that is something that happens mm. if you are under such an immense amount of stress that your body basically cannot process it. It can actually come out in symptoms like that. So I didn't really do a good job of taking myself care of myself at all. I was completely depleted, like you said, in every single way possible. Self-care for the wife of an alcoholic, a lot of times just looks like doing a good job of eating, sleeping, your basic functions, like even just worrying about just the bare minimum of trying to care for yourself, trying to eat right, trying to sleep making sure that you're just looking after yourself as much as you possibly can, which does feel impossible sometimes when you're in this situation. But I always recommend if somebody has really just let themselves completely go, like I had just try to start there with like mm -hmm. taking care of your body first and foremost, because that's, that will probably, once you kind of start to feel better after you do that, then you can start to nurture yourself in other ways. But you know, for a wife, and a wife of an alcoholic, self-care is not a massage and a pedicure. Sometimes it's just remembering to eat and mm -hmm. drink some water that day, you know, because you are just so depleted. You're a woman of faith. Where did that come into play in your, I mean, for you're in the darkest midnight. Was your faith important to you then? Or did you feel like, what's the point? Where is God in all of this? And where did you finally say, okay, there is something about my faith that's going to help me through this? Yes, my faith was all over the place during this. I went from, you know, praying diligently and really just doing everything I could to try to get God to come into the situation and help me fix it to not even believing that there was a God for a while because he wasn't showing up and it had been months and ultimately years to at the end of it, realizing that I 
had now become completely broken. I had nothing left. I had tried everything. I was completely falling apart. I was not functioning well in my job as a mom in any capacity. And I remember one day I was standing in the shower and I just had the water as hot as I could possibly stand it because I was just angry. And I just started screaming at God, not like calling out to God, but like screaming at God because I was so mad and so hurt and so overwhelmed and I didn't understand. And I remember just saying, help us, help us like over and over again, just screaming, help us. And it wasn't long after that when my husband agreed to go to treatment. And I feel like I I really did have to come to the end of myself. And now I look back and I can see that God's hand was in it in a lot of little ways that I did not recognize then. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, now I know that my faith is 100% what brought me through that. It was that knowing deep inside that somehow, some way, it was going to be okay. And some days I was not tuned into that at all, but every once in a while, I would just have like that tiny little knowing of it's going to be okay. And I really do believe that that was God letting me know, you know, just Mm -hmm. keep moving forward. And, you know, here we are now, four years later, my husband's been sober and our life marriage, everything has been completely restored. So I know that my faith was a big part of it, but yes, during that time, I really wondered where God was. And like I said, even wondered if he was real. And that's something that I think a lot of women of faith go through when they're walking this road, because it's so hard. It's the hardest thing that I've ever gone through. And you really do wonder why God hasn't shown up already. I think about the woman who is in that place right now. She's just praying fervently. She's doing everything she knows to do to um, get her husband to see the light. Nothing is working. Nothing. What counsel would you give to her? as she's not seeing the hope that you experienced? The first thing is you have to get help for yourself. I know that it feels like that's the last thing that's important right now because it certainly did for me. But doing that, getting getting help for yourself makes it easier because you get knowledge on things to do better. Like I said, you're taking better care of yourself. You're, you know, starting to nurture a relationship with God, even if it feels bristly right now and something that is not the direction that you want to move in. When you really start being intentional about getting some help for yourself, it's like the blinders come off and you do start to see things differently. And also when you do that, it affects the people around you, your children, your other family members, the people at your job and your husband ultimately as well. So that's the biggest thing. Like you've got to realize that you are going through trauma. This is affecting you massively every bit as much as it is your husband and everybody else. And you have to find a place to get some help. When you were in that place, was there someone who came alongside of you? Or did you feel like I have to take care of this myself? I don't want anybody else to know, not even telling friends. And then when you decided to get help, how did you get that help? Where did you go for that help? For the most part, I kept everybody in the dark. They knew, I think that a lot of people in my family, in my family and some friends knew that there was a problem. They had no idea how much of a problem it was. I did have one friend, a very, very good friend of mine that I confided in because she had gone through the same thing many years Mm -hmm. prior. And I knew that, and I already felt close to her. And so I definitely could confide in her and she helped me walk through it. And I remember now it's so funny. I remember her telling me 
when I was in the middle of it, before I realized that I was doing everything wrong, she would say, you know, you need to do X, Y, Z. And I was like, yeah, X, Y, Z is not going to work for me. And that just, you know, that that's not what I need right now. And she'd be like, okay. And then the next time I would talk to her and, you know, complain about this, that she's like, well, you need to do X, Y, Z. I'm like, yeah, no, no. <laughs> because she knew that I had to be ready. Just yeah. like he had to be ready to receive what she was trying to tell me. So thank God for her. I, I think it's really important for us to understand that, that when we're called to come alongside somebody, that doesn't mean they're going to do what we tell them to do. We have to go through it. Our 16-year-old son, Mark, and his friend Kelly were in a fatal car accident. And we had friends ahead of us who had lost a child. And to me, that's the best that is the best source of encouragement besides God's word is somebody ahead of you in the journey who's calling back. And I remember one of our friends said, I really wish I could pick you up and move you five years down the road. So you don't have to go through this, but I can't do that. And it wouldn't help you for me to do that. You have to go through it. You have to experience the pain and um, and for me, for us, the uh, Isaiah 45 verses two through three says, I will give you treasures in the darkness, riches stored in secret places so that you will know I am the Lord, your God, the one who calls you by name. And that became my go-to place. I would camp out there. I knew that he wasn't going to give me Mark back. That would be the best treasure, but he was promising to give me treasures. And so I needed to, to watch for them and look for them. And they were designed to turn my heart toward him. And but I, th- I think it's critical for those of us who are coming alongside of a broken person. I just love the way you described it is she hung in there with you, recognizing, okay, it's okay. It's not time yet. It's okay. So when you say get help, where would a woman go to get help? And I think this is a perfect segue into talking about the ministry that you have. So tell us about that too, because this is, this is an open door. If you're listening and you're saying, I have no idea where to go for help. I want to tell you, this is a first step. Julie's going to give you a first step of where you can go. Yes. So I would absolutely love to help anybody who's in this spot because I can 1 million percent relate. It's actually why I started my ministry, which is called Married to Addiction. And we were talking a little bit earlier. I did not really come into this willingly. Um, it was something that the Lord wanted me to do, but I kind of put it on the back burner for a really long time because this is hard. You know, it's tough. It's tough to, to help people who are in such a difficult spot because, you know, I'm empathetic. And so I take on a lot of what they're feeling and experiencing. It's hard to relive what I went through, you know, and those emotions and, and that just dark, awful time. But ultimately he said to me, uh, if you don't now be the person that you needed when you were in that place. And this experience has been wasted. And so I thought, okay, I need to get over myself (laughs) and realize that I do have so much to share. And I desperately needed what now I can give to other women. So I uh, started Married to Addiction. And I do have a podcast by that name. That's my website, marriedtoaddiction.com. I also have a self-led course. So for somebody who just kind of wants to get some information and then pick it up and run with it on their own. And then I just recently started a membership too, that's called the secret sister circle, where I really do come alongside these ladies and just teach them what I learned and give them the tools and the direction and the support that can really just make all the difference. So if anyone is listening is in this spot, knows anyone in this spot, I would absolutely be honored to help 
but there are also some other organizations uh, as well. Al-Anon is out there. Uh, there's Celebrate Recovery as well. So there are some other people, some other organizations that you can go to if you're not quite ready to take that next step and you just kind of want to get some ideas of what maybe you can do. I do a lot of that on my podcast as well. I share a lot of uh, free insight there and also on my blog, on my website. So I do have some information out there too. So I would be happy to just have somebody come and poke around if they just kind of want some info and contact me if they're ready to move forward with a little bit more help. And your website is marriedtoaddiction.com and your podcast is called Married to Addiction as well. I mean, that's that's pretty clear yeah. <laughs> that what your, what your platform is, what your message yeah. is. Uh, and listeners, I hope that you will write down all this information and pass it along to your pastors or your women's ministry leaders. Or if you're a women's ministry leader, share it with the uh, women of your church. Let's get the word out there of uh, this really incredible uh, tool that is available to us to offer help and hope. And even go there yourself, even if you don't have an alcoholic husband, but you're involved in ministry, check out marriedtoaddiction.com. See what the resources are. It's just mind boggling to see that. I, I read somewhere that after obedience comes the fruit. And I love what you're saying is kicking and screaming, but God is giving you incredible fruit from that very painful place that you were in. And you are a picture of giving to others the comfort that was given to you and um, so practical. I'm, I'm just thrilled to introduce you to our, our listeners, our subscribers. So as we wrap up, Julie, would you uh, just speak to the woman? You've kind of done that already, but the woman who she's known for a while, for a year, a couple of years, a, a long time that her husband is an alcoholic but she can't get him to move off the dime. And she just has almost given up any hope of having any kind of normal life. What, what encouragement could you give to her? The main thing I want you to know is God has not left you. I know it feels like he has sometimes during this path. He is there. And in the future, you will look back and see those little places where he was there. And so just know that he absolutely is still there. He's waiting to carry you through this. I actually wanted to share a verse too at 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And I have clung to that, you know, through this journey and even beyond just in my daily life, because it speaks so well to, we don't have to always be strong. We don't always have to be the ones who are supposed to be figuring this out and, you know, making it work. And if your husband is in this place, give it to God. God is the one, you know, God loves him more than you do. And sometimes I think that we forget that. And it's not your job or your responsibility or your burden to be the one to fix this. So get some help for yourself. Lean into a relationship with the Lord, even if it feels like that's difficult right now, because he's waiting to help you carry this and to bring you through it on the other side. Good words, good words. And uh, Julie Sanford is my guest today for the Help and Hope podcast. I'm Sharon Betters. And, and I would add to that, what we've already said is go to Julie's website, marriedtoaddiction.com. Um, jump in there. I know that she has women uh, who are part of this ministry who are seeking help, whose husbands are not getting help for themselves right now. And so you're not alone. Um, I love the Secret Sisters groups that Julie is uh, leading and spread the word. Maybe get a friend to come along with you into this journey and take 
advantage of the woman that God has put right in front of you, whose story is going from ashes to beauty. I love it, Julie. I just love it. So again, that is MarriedToAddiction.com. And I hope that you will also visit markinc.org. That's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where we have loads and loads of resources like this one that address some of the most painful uh, life crises that can be experienced. And each one is an amazing story of redemption. And I have to tell you, I like when I talk with Julie and some of our other guests, I'm just blown away by their willingness to put it all out there. They have such freedom because of their relationship to Christ and what they have experienced in Him. And we want that for those who are coming behind us in this journey. So again, that's markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. Make sure you share this conversation, subscribe to the Help and Hope podcast, and I look forward to having you join us the next time. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.